Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julia Spare's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 30th of November, and my name is Helen Freer. On today's show, I'll be talking about the latest market news with John T. Warris. Then Norbert Rucker is back, and I'll be asking him all about the latest news in energy markets. And Nicola Jordan is also on the show this morning to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But first up is John T with the market news. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Helen. So yesterday was a relatively quiet day on the economic data front by and large, but we did see US GDP numbers. What can you tell us there? And how did markets take the news? Yes, so preliminary GDP data showed that US economy expanded by 5.2% in the third quarter, outstripping expectations of 4.9%. Stocks on Wall Street edged higher yesterday on the news as this robust upward GDP revision eased worries about a possible US recession. But the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq all closed around the flatline yesterday after pairing some of their gains. Outperformers in the S&P on the day included real estate and financial sectors, both up 0.7% while returns were dragged down by the energy and telecom sectors. In fact, Helen, global stocks are headed for their best month since November 2020. Equities have had a very good run as bond yields continue to tumble on growing speculation that the Federal Reserve is done tightening policy and will start cutting rates next year. So the bigger picture looks quite encouraging for markets then, and investors are now waiting to see if the Fed Chair Jerome Powell will reinforce that message when he speaks tomorrow. But we did hear some contradictory messages from Fed officials yesterday, didn't we? That's right. So US indices did pair some of their initial gains yesterday after some Federal Reserve officials' remarks left investors with open questions about the duration of the central bank's restrictive policy. Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin expressed some scepticism that the central bank's tightening cycle is finished. He's clearly keen to keep the option of another rate hike on the table in case inflation flares up again. And yes, you mentioned mixed messages. We also have from Fed Governor Christopher Waller, who's widely considered a hawk, who provided reassurance that the Fed has probably reached the end of its rate hike cycle. He hinted at the possibility of cutting rates in the near term to engineer a soft landing and avoid a recession. Okay, um, let's talk about currencies now, where it seems this dizzying drop in Treasury yields has taken its toll on the US dollar. Yes, it really is. The US dollar index looks set for its worst month since November last year, with a loss so far of 3.7%. It's down 3.1% on the yen, which, if sustained, would be the sharpest fall this year. The euro is also up on the dollar by 3.8% this month, and the Chinese yuan is up over 2.5% on the dollar, which is quite a major move for such a tightly managed currency pair. And the dollar yuan cross failed to get any lift from the rather disappointing China PMI survey data we saw out this morning. Okay, um, let's move over to Asia now then, where I see um, the weaker than expected Chinese manufacturing data is making the headlines. Can you fill us in on the details here? That's right. This morning, we saw Chinese PMI data, which showed that China's manufacturing activity contracted for a second straight month in November and at a quicker pace, according to an official factory survey. This suggests that more government policy support measures may be needed to help shore up economic growth. Oil prices fell in early Asian trading on the news, but investors maintain caution ahead of an OPEC plus meeting where production cuts are expected. And how are markets in Asia digesting this news in today's trading session? Well, Asian datas are extending their gains and headed for their best month since January, as traders are betting that the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates next year and on the back of the weak Chinese data, boosting hopes for more policy support. 
Taking a step back, China's stocks are something of an outlier in what is otherwise a global rally that we're seeing on concerns mainly about its growth outlook. But otherwise in markets today in Asia, the Korean Kosdaq is up by over 1% and stocks in Australia and New Zealand are also trading up around 0.8%. The Hang Seng is up around 0.3% and mainline Chinese indices are mixed. Okay, and perhaps lastly, Jonti, looking ahead to today, what can investors expect? Well, today's Inflation Day in Europe, and we can expect CPI data for November for the Eurozone and for a number of European countries. Here, the market is anticipating a downside surprise following the somewhat subdued readings that we saw out of Germany and Spain yesterday. Also, there's more PMI manufacturing data today and tomorrow. And uh, looking to the US, we'll see US Personal Consumption Expenditures, the PCE deflator report out later this afternoon, which is the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation. And here, markets will be also vulnerable to any upside surprise, which they're counting on to echo the encouraging CPI data and show that core inflation slowed to 3.5% in October. Also due out today uh, of the US are weekly jobs claims and pending home sales. Remy Quantro, Vienna Insurance and Electa are among companies expected to release earnings today. And the futures board shows that US equities are set for a stronger open in the green today. And that's it from me for today, Helen. Great. Thank you very much, John C, for the great roundup. Thank you, Helen. Now, Norbert, good morning, firstly, and welcome back. Good morning. So we're talking about energy markets this morning. There's been a lot of news there this week with the COP28 and the OPEC Plus meeting. So focusing particularly on this with OPEC Plus members meeting today, what are your expectations for the oil market? Well, to be honest, what the outcome is of the meeting today, given the quite lengthy ongoing discussions already, remains a bit unsure. It might well be that they stick to the current quotas, to the production cuts, or it might also be that they actually deepen these cuts. I think what's important to focus in the background. So we've seen Saudi Arabia basically through most out of this year, deciding on a unilateral cut. So basically, Saudi Arabia did the heavy lifting and produced less oil than they could, while everyone else in the group was able to more or less stick with the quotas decided at the beginning of the year. Obviously, such a strategy is really not sustainable if someone just kind of takes the brunt of the work and eventually it needs to be readjusted. And I think we're exactly in this uh, process. And the challenge of this readjustment is that the there's really not a common ground in terms of oil politics because there are different exposures of all the petronations in this group. Um, and especially Saudi Arabia sticks out because they require higher oil prices because they're kind of in a very intense investment phase. And they basically need oil to be somewhere in the 90s to really fund their budgets and their very ambitious economic vision. Um, most other members don't need prices in the 90s, they don't need prices in the 80s. They're perfectly fine with prices somewhere in the 70s. And I think the background also is that the patronations, yes, they might be influencing oil prices in a very short term with the oil politics. But in the end, in the long term, they're simply price takers and it's pure economic dynamics that define where the price level is. So out of that, there's really some uncertainty, but I think it warrants focusing on these limits of oil politics to define the impact longer term on oil. And what's our outlook then for oil next year? Well, if you look at this economic dynamics in the oil market, first of all, if you look at the consumption side, demand side, um, there's stagnation because you have uh, some sort of maxed out economies. Uh, if you look at the labor market in the United States, that's an 
a key element. If you look at China, you see the persisting economic challenges. There's stagnation there too. Um, moreover, we see clearly the structural headwinds. So fuel efficiency, which is going up, uh, the rising share of uh, plug-in cars that's on the roads. So there's erosion there, very visible already in the European market. And if you look at the supply side, there in fact are various areas of growth in the United States, especially in South America. Um, on top come the patronations because some of them invested uh, quite a bit over the past year, so they want to increase production. Um, so overall, for us, the oil market is an oil market next year that's well supplied, um, that shouldn't be any scarcity, not at all, to the opposite. And this really underpins our cautious view. This underpins why we see oil prices settling somewhere in the 70s next year. Okay. Now, certainly in Zurich this morning, we woke up to snow on the street. So I think we can say that winter has arrived. Do you have an update for us on the latest energy situation? Sure. I think in the meantime, it's fair to say that the energy crisis is over. Um, if you look at the supply situation, energy supply situation in Europe, gas storage is full to its brim. Um, hydro storage is, is full, not only in the Nordics, but also here in the Alps, something we focus on in, in Switzerland. If you look at the imports of natural gas, very robust, very solid imports, completely offsetting, but no longer coming from, from Russia. And there's the key link. If you look at the global market, the energy availability on the global market has improved substantially uh, from last year. And especially this, this element that made things worse last year, that um, the buyers were overly cautious and they overly stocked on their side. This element, this short-term element is, is gone. If you look at China, uh, substantial supplies of coal across the entire value chain, substantial supply increases of domestic natural gas production, a very rapid build out of clean energy in China, but also in, in Europe. And this all adds up to a supply situation, which in fact is again, rather one of oversupply. And I think the, the market is uh, realizing that there's still some element of fear in the natural gas market that this explains the high prices. But just the moves over the past days with this slump in uh, gas prices in Europe shows that really these, these fears are slowly kind of coming out of the market because of the good supply situation. So overall, we, we stick to a cautious view. We still think there's more downside to energy prices in Europe. Um, and we actually stick to our bearish view and stick to a short recommendation. And that's it from energy. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Norbert. And moving over to you now, Nicola. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Helen. So, um, Jonty's already touched on it. We've seen some quite spectacular equity performance in November. What are your thoughts on this? Why do you think this was? Well, I think uh, this month has actually showed us once again how dangerous short-term market timing can be. When I talked to you at the end of October, I had to confess that while we were still positive about the market outlook, we started to get a little bit nervous as the correction that we had expected since the beginning of the summer was dragging on in October. In the end, our patience to stick to our bullish view and not follow the pessimistic consensus was rewarded with a spectacular rally in risky assets in November. I mean, the S&P 500 gained more than 8% this month, the Nasdaq even increased by more than 10%. It's also worth highlighting that November alone accounted for two-thirds of this year's performance. 
This means that any portfolios that waited at the sidelines in January and in November would in fact have close to zero or even slightly negative performance this year. But interestingly enough, despite these recent developments, skepticism continues to dominate investor sentiment and plenty of cash is still parked away in short-term instruments. And why do you think there's still this pessimism then? Well, the list of reasons to be cautious is quite long and diverse, I have to say. While fears of a recession have faded, fears of further interest rate rises, as we heard from John T., have now come to the fore. Growing geopolitical tensions are often cited as a reason to be more cautious and even consider adding gold to portfolios. There are also concerns about corporate earnings in 2024 and questions about rising default rates on this or that type of US consumer loan, which would be an early sign of problems ahead. But we think that in such a climate, it is essential to remain flexible and open to all potential scenarios, both good and bad. What's your outlook for the rest of the year then? How do you see things playing out? Well, our conclusion at the IC this week remained unchanged for the time being. The economy is slowing down against the backdrop of disinflation, while interest rates have peaked in October. We think that the rally in equities is set to take a little break again. November was so strong that we wonder whether the year-end rally has already been completed. In any case, we always emphasize that our investment horizon does not end on the 31st of December. We still believe that the rally will continue into the first quarter of 2024 and remain buyers on pullbacks. When it comes to yields, the opportunity to lock them in durably is now slightly less attractive than it was four weeks ago. But the message is still valid. It's still a good time to secure these historically high returns. That's all from my side. Back to you, Helen. Excellent. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us this morning. So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show and you haven't yet subscribed, don't forget to do so. And please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We'd love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back talking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.